Yesterday, remember? <clears throat> Yesterday we looked at the the purpose, the whole purpose of fasting, of prayer, is basically, you know, we have to look at at different ways we have to look at it because it's got to do with, primarily it got to do with, we look from the book of Timothy where God says, if a man, which includes a woman too, cleanses himself or herself, sanctifies, you will become a vessel of honor. Everything that we do, see we can do something from the human perspective, we can do something from the divine perspective. It's the divine perspective which brings lasting change, lasting power, and secures your destiny, your inheritance, like, no, Lord, I want to be a more useful vessel in your hand. Okay, and also remember in Corinthians, Apostle Paul will teach us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not carnal weapons. They are mighty in God. Okay, so you will see the word of God is called the sword of the spirit. Prayer is a weapon. Praise. Why do we worship? Because you see, once we have sung, doesn't matter how you came here, that spirit lifts off. You feel more happy. The joy comes in because scripture says the joy of the Lord, not our worldly joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Worship, praise. These are all spiritual weapons. You have to see fasting and prayer. Fasting has a weapon of warfare. Everybody in the world, different religions, they fast, but they don't, they are not able to use it as a weapon of warfare because they don't even know it can be used. And all this can be, becomes weapon only in Christ. Outside Christ, they don't become, I mean, it's good, it's, it's like people who are even atheists fast, but they fast to maintain a healthy lifestyle because fasting actually detoxes your body. And also you lose weight. Okay, and you maintain your weight. Okay, so they, so believers, non-Christians fast, atheists fast, but Christians fast, believers fast. And when believers fast, we do it with understanding. You know, scripture talks about worshipping God with understanding because you need to realize today, day two, I want to look at this is, uh, we are again looking at uh, fasting. The Bible divides man into three, primarily three categories. First is the carnal man. Okay? In the carnal man, you will see it is his flesh that controls his decisions. Okay? The carnal man. It's the flesh that controls his decision. The soulish man, it's his intellect. But the problem is that the soulish man who is intellectual, his will is very stubborn very stubborn. Okay? And that's why God does not use soulish men. Because he does not bend his will to God. Instead, he tries to bend God to his will. The problem with the soulish man is his will is very strong. And his intellectual. And he uses his intellect, his understanding, and his will to manipulate God. Okay, a soulish man, understand that. So there's a carnal man and there is a soulish man. The carnal man, the problem is his flesh determines his will. His will is bent towards his desires. While the soulish man, his will is bent towards his intellect. The spiritual man in the Bible, the biblical born again spiritual man, is the one who has his soul and his body under the spirit's control. You always wrong, but the Holy Spirit speaks to the spirit. Speaks to the spirit. 
Okay, it is it is spiritually discerned. He speaks to our spirit, and the soul gives us understanding. But the spirit is in control. The soul is not in control. The flesh is not control. And fasting in the Bible is one of the ways to give your spirit more control, more control, because the Holy Spirit speaks to your spirit. I stand and preach. I find it very difficult to sit and speak. You can move that chair, please. So, we saw yesterday one of the ways the spirit gets sanctified is through fasting. Because suddenly the soul and the flesh does not have much say because fasting really, really weakens your body. Because ultimately, whether it is the soul or whether it is the flesh, if it has to do something, if it wants its desire fulfilled, it needs the body. Without the body, the flesh can't do anything. Like, without the body, the soul also can't do anything. And what happens is fasting gives control to the spirit. The body weakens and the soul also actually weakens. And the spirit gets control. That's why if you study the, the Old Testament, you study on the day of atonement, they fasted. And it was called the affliction of the soul. It's not as the affliction of the body, it is called the affliction of the soul. Okay, it was, that is spiritually what it is meant to be. Okay, you are afflicting your soul. You are not allowing your soul to have control. You are not allowing your flesh to have control. Because what happens is that when non-believers, those who don't understand the fact, when they are fasting, they don't afflict their soul. They don't afflict their soul. They can be still be extremely strong-willed. In the time of fasting, they can be extremely nasty to people. There's no affliction of the soul. If you go to the, the, the main text in the Bible, in the, in the, about when you look at fasting, it's Isaiah. Isaiah 58. You know? In Isaiah 58, you know, they're fasting. But they are not fasting to find God's will. They're fasting to subvert God to their will. And they're mad because the fasting and prayer is not bringing anything. So they're saying in verse 3, read please verse 3 somebody. Why have we fasted and, mm. you see, and you do not see it? Mm. Why have we humbled ourselves and you, de- you don't take knowledge of it? Mm. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure mm. and oppress all your work. Yeah, which version is that? The CSV. Okay, can I have a KJV or NKG, somebody? Loudly, loudly, yeah. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no Why have we afflicted our souls? And you have? They're afflicting our but they're actually not afflicting their soul. They're not afflicting their soul. Because if you afflict your soul, you won't have a response like this. Okay? So fasting was called an affliction of the soul. Because the natural man depends upon the soul, the intellect, his will to find a solution to his problem. But when we fast, if our attitude is wrong, God is not pleased with our fast. God is not pleased with our fast. That's why when we are fasting, there has to be a surrender of will. 
That's why even when Jesus fasted, praise, you'll always see, not my will, Lord, thy will be done, thy will be done. Because you can use spiritual tools to get our agenda in the kingdom of God. And God says, I'm not pleased with your fast. I am interested in your breakthrough, but I'm not interested in the ways you're looking at it. Okay, I'm not interested. That's what I say 58 verse 3 to 5 says. Can you read that loudly again in the NKJV version? Okay, Why have you fasted this day and you have not seen? Hmm. Why have you afflicted our souls and you take no notice? Hmm. In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. Yeah, and NIV will say you do as you please. Actually, on the day of fast, you find pleasure and? And exploit all your laborers. You exploit all your laborers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and debate. And you strike with the fist of your wickedness. And you strike others with your wickedness. You will not fast as you do to this day to make your voice heard on high. Yeah, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high by God. Hmm. It is a fast that I have chosen. But is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul. Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Amen. Okay, did you see what scripture God is saying? He says, you know, in like modern English, he says, when you're fasting, your attitude stinks. Your attitude stinks. He says, look at the thoughts in your mind going. You're so mad at people. You're so angry. One of the things like the first day, that's why I left the first day like that, because one of the things that fasting does, when you really actually as a church come together and fast, what it does, it's like, it is like stirring the pot. Actually, you're really mad the first day. And it is the Holy Spirit stirring up all the muck and bringing it up to the top. So that you deal with it. That's why we did that and I said, go and let God deal with your thoughts. Deal with your thoughts because that's what when you are stirring, it comes to the top. It comes to the top. But you don't let it lie like there. Okay, now what they are going to do, it's coming to the top, now they are reacting accordingly. God says, no, that's not what you are supposed to do. You are supposed to repent and start putting it right because that is what. Otherwise, you are just walking outwardly, bending like a reed, but inside you are stubborn. Okay, he says, is that the kind of fast that... Because God says, fasting it should be an affliction of your soul. Look at Psalm 35 and verse 18 to what Psalmist, if I'm right, it's David, what he says. Yeah. 35 and verse 13. I will give you thanks in the great congregation. No, no, no. 35, 35. But I, when they were sick... I was mm-hmm. I afflicted myself with fasting. I afflicted myself with fasting. If your fasting is not an affliction, affliction, then you are missing it out on fasting. It's an affliction of the soul. So it's a it's a rigorous this thing on the body, but that's not so for, for many people who have, don't eat much are not very worried. Fasting doesn't make much of a difference to their body, but even to that person, fasting should make a difference to their soul. Because it's an affliction of the soul. I've afflicted myself, is what the psalmist will say. In in uh, Psalm 69 and verse 10, you know, 
you will see the psalmist actually prophetically speaking about Jesus Christ. So from there we know how Jesus used to fast and the reaction in his soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, read that once again. Yeah, it became my reproach. And you read the next verse. When I made sackcloth mm. my clothing, mm. I became my byword to them. Mm. Then? I am the talk of those who sit in the gate and the, and the drunkards make songs about me. Mm. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. Mm. And at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving. This is actually prophetic about Jesus Christ. You read verse 7. For it is for your sake, for, for your sake that I have borne reproach. Mm. That dishonor has covered my face. Yes, and verse 8. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's son. Mm. 8, 9. For zeal for your house consumes me. Zeal for your house consumes me, wrong. Yeah. That's talking about Jesus Christ. Yeah. And he's fasting. Yeah. And the reproach falls upon him. He says, my mother's own sons, his stepbrothers, they scorn me. The reproach. No, but yet he is afflicting his soul because zeal for the house of God has taken over him. So you have to look at what fasting means because everybody fasts. But fasting to have power over us, we have to see it as an affliction of our soul because we are zealous for the house of God. We are very zealous and reproach will come upon us. And God, he says, it's fine with me. It's the way you humble yourself. We saw that in Psalm this, the, the 69 we saw. I have humbled myself with fasting. I have afflicted my soul with fasting. Why is it so important? You need to understand why is it important. Because in the Bible, scripturally, spiritually, fasting is a form of humbling. Where we are willing to be scorned. We are willing to be reproached. Why? Because scripture says in the Old Covenant and in the New Covenant, God gives grace to the humble. In First Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, what does scripture say? First Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. Mm. Mm. Go ahead. You who are younger, be subject to your elders, to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How do you humble yourself? One of the ways. Scripture says, I have humbled myself before the Lord in fasting. See, everybody wants grace. And without grace, absolutely nothing is possible in the believers. And God says grace is not given according to your situation. Grace is given only to the humble. And the question we ask is, Lord, teach me, make me humble. How do I make myself humble? God says one of the way you make yourself humble is you have a consistent fasting life. Because by fasting, you are humbling yourself, saying, Lord, I have a situation. There are so many solutions in my mind. I will not choose the solution. I humble myself before you. You break through for me. And God says, I give you grace. Now, children who are struggling with studies ought to fast and say, Lord, I humble myself. I will study. I will do everything. But Lord, I will humble myself before you. You break through for me, Lord. I need grace. Because scripture says, God gives grace to the humble. And then the next verse is that, humble yourself before the 
mighty hand of God. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift you. And one of the ways, if you look at all God's great servants in the Old Testament or the New Testament, including Jesus himself, who calls himself servant of the Lord, he humbled himself consistently with fasting. But that's the reason we fast. The reason we fast is, Lord, I am, I am, I am putting a new uh, leash on my body and I'm afflicting my soul because I need to hear from you. I need your power. I need your grace. I need your direction in my life. So I have humbled myself through fasting. I have afflicted my soul because God gives grace to the humble. Because, you see, how does God know that I am humble? He knows everybody. No, but how do I prove to God I'm really humbling myself? Here when God says, humble thyself before the Lord and we'll say, Lord, I see that, but tell me how do I humble? God says one of the way you humble is by fasting. You humble by fasting. James also will say in James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. He says, but he gives more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Again, it says, submit yourself then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The other place he says, submit yourself to God and he will lift you up. Here he says, submit yourself to God by humbling yourself, by fasting and you will be able to resist the devil and the devil will flee from you. You see, fasting becomes a spiritual power. A spiritual weapon in the hands of people, irrespective of what you are, whether you are a child, a student, uh, employee, or in the ministry, irrelevant. We are all in the same battle in our different, different places. We are in the battle because you know what, you mean, these are terms which are giving you, but these are, uh, they are spiritual spirits, forces of darkness, which are called dream catchers. They catch your dreams, which God gives you and takes you away. They are called destiny killers. They take your destiny away from you because they know who you are in Christ Jesus. So they don't want to fulfill your destiny here so that you end up nobody there. They cannot steal your salvation. But they can block everything if you are not aware we are in a spiritual battle. Every one of you are in. It's irrelevant what your career is. You could be become a teacher. And you could be a wonderful teacher and get the president's award also, but have no significance in the kingdom of God. Yet you could be a teacher with the anointing who fasts and prays for his students or your her students. And by the time your ministry, your two years, three years, four years is over in a school, your children all have heard about Jesus Christ one way or other. Many have accepted Jesus Christ because I baptized my students. Though I taught them only English. Because you need to understand this destiny connected here and there. Here and there. And you have to realize it is irrelevant what your career is. And there are these stealers of your destiny. And fasting is a weapon that you use. Okay, look at the, uh, look at what God talks about this church in the book of Revelation, the, the sixth church over there. In three and verse eight. He says, I know your deeds. Okay. And one of the things which I am absolutely sure he knew about this church is this church had absolute spiritual culture of fasting and praying. This was a fasting church and a praying church and a loving church. Yeah, please read that. I know your works. Yes. Lord, I have set before you an open door. I have set before you an open door that no one can close. And then? Which no one is able to shut. Okay. I know that you have but little power. 
okay, look at that. You have very little power. You have very little strength. It doesn't make any sense if you think in the, in the intellect with human understanding. Who would keep an open door with somebody who has no strength? You need to give open doors for people who have strength because they will be able to go out and do a lot of things, right? But here it is the opposite. God says, I know your deeds. You have very little strength. Very little strength. You have very, very little strength. And I have kept an open door for you. You didn't keep an open door for the other churches. But it says to you who has very little strength, I have kept an open door. Doesn't make sense unless you see it through spiritual eyes. Because you ask yourself, what is strength in the world? One is money. You have money. You can do a lot of things in this world. Good and bad. Second is numbers. In democracy, we know numbers matter and only numbers matter. Even if it is one by one, it matters. Second is political power. Three things. Money, numbers, political power. And he's telling this church, you have very little strength. What does it mean? They don't have much money. They probably don't have much numbers. And they don't have influence. Now think about it. Would you leave an open door for a church like that? What can you do? Now imagine a church like in the city of 10,000 people. With all IAS officers, IPS officers, all in their committee, in their board. Their offering bag, you can't even carry because it's so heavy. They have numbers. They have influence and they have money. And we would naturally think, Lord, you must be keeping the door open for them because they can do a lot of things. Because in the world, what is what is strength? Money, numbers, and political power. We, we, we saw on Sunday, we have seen in uh, subsequent Sundays also that Positionally, all of us who are in the Lord, positionally, we know from, if I'm right, Revelation 5.10, Scripture says, I have made you kings and priests. Positionally, we, we that's how we study and we put it together, okay? Positionally, in Christ Jesus, everybody sitting here is a king. Okay, let's say king. We won't say queen. Everybody is a king, okay? Now look at Deuteronomy chapter 17. Okay? Rule for kings. Okay. No, no, don't worry about that part. <laughs> it's more than that. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 16 and 17. Yeah, the king. Uh, the king must not acquire. He should not rely on power. Should not because every army. I mean, it's like it's like no, it's changing. Okay, if you like, if you look at uh, 30, 25 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, an army that wants to move, they had to have tanks, weapons, tanks. Old days, it was horses and chariots. Even if you have a chariot, you need horses to pull. You can make a chariot, but you need horses to pull chariots. Chariots and horses were the power structure of a king. The more chariots you have, the more powerful you have. So you will see um, the Egypt uh, Pharaoh of Egypt uh, coming with 600 uh, chariots. 
because they were iron chariots. They very. It's not like what you are thinking about, like in your Hindi serial where you see Krishna coming on that painted. And it's not like that. These are iron chariots. They are weapons like tanks of those days. And God is saying, kings of Israel, don't multiply horses. Because you do, what will happen? You will start relying on your power instead of depending on God. Don't multiply horses. Then, second. Don't rely on the ways of Egypt. Ways of this world. It's a very, very strange thing, okay? You are king of Egypt, you are king of Israel, and you are a small nation, and you are, uh, you've been given this land by God, all around surrounded by evil and enemy forces, but you are not allowed to defend yourself in their ways. Don't multiply horses. Your ways, you have very little strength, you are a small nation. Very you cannot multiply horses, you cannot go in the ways of Egypt, and third thing, because his heart will turn away mm. if you multiply wives your heart will be divided that's what happened to Solomon because he started taking different different Gentile wives and his heart got divided and then finally the kingdom is split after after his time he says let your heart not be divided and for don't acquire too much money did you see? Because this is where power comes in the world. All of you, that's often how you choose your career. Right? And parents look for a husband for their daughters. They always say, how much does he make? Did you see? The Bible is talking about, he's saying you have very little strength. You have very little strength. Church in Philadelphia had very little strength. Meaning, He's telling us as believers, as uh, positionally as kings, don't look at these things as your strength. Because if you take as these things as your strength, what will happen? You will not rely on God. A few Chinese Christians from the underground church, they came to America. And after seeing all the Christianity, visiting churches, everything, when they were going back, they were asked a question. What do you have to say about the church and Christianity in America? And their answer was that, we see how little you need need God. How little you need God for anything. Because you need, you don't need God. You see, the more we have these things, you will see the less we are dependent upon prayer and fasting. Because we don't need that. We don't need that. Because we have already found security in these things. Our security is in these things. Why do we need to fast? Why do we need to pray? Why do we need to fast? Because there's no need to afflict the soul. I have a problem and I have money. I can handle it. Or I have power. I can handle it. I'll call this officer. I'll call that officer. He'll handle it for me. Or even if a mob comes, we got numbers. You see the trap? God says you are a king. Positionally a king. But not like the king of the world. Israel, you are a king. Kings of Israel shall not be like the kings of the world. The kings of Israel shall not do what? Multiply horses. 
Don't put your trust in chariots or horses. Two, you will not go back the way of the you will not. Don't, when you face a problem, don't try to find a solution according to the ways of man. He's speaking to us. That's why these things are, they won't try to find a solution according to the ways of man. Because you go there, you will be trapped. Okay, third, don't multiply wives. Meaning, your heart will be divided. Divided. Okay, that's why in the new covenant, if you look at it, when, because everybody is a king and a priest. Right? So, in the new covenant, in church leadership, eldership, the one rule that is consistent is that, that man should have only one wife. One wife. Why? Because if a pastor has two wives, his heart is divided. Which one will he listen to? This one will say, do this way, that one. Because the counsel is always the closest one is the wife. Because that's the person with whom he's discussing the issues of the church. So, if you have two wives, your heart is divided. Because he's functioning in so many ways as a leader, as a king, which his congregation has to take decisions. So to Israel he said, remember this is what you are. The kings of Israel shall be different from the kings of this world. You will not rely on horses. You will not go the way of Israel, of Egypt. You will not multiply wives and you shall not acquire too much. And Solomon did all this and he was destroyed. Okay. Because God says, remember. And that's what he's telling the church. And then this next, this thing. You should not do, 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 do these things. And then he tells what you should do. Okay? Read verse 18 to 20. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, mm-hmm. he shall write for himself in a book a copy of his law. Okay. Approved by the Levitical mm-hmm. And it shall be with them. And then he shall read it in all the days of his life. Ah, if you, are you a king in Christ Jesus? God says the first thing is that when you don't talk about dominion, when you sit on the throne, the first thing is that you need to have this book before you always. Always. This is a rule to the king. No, because we are hearing only about dominion everywhere in this world. Dominion, 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 dominion. He says, yes, you are called to ask, take dominion. But according to this, before you always, all the days of your life, you shall have a copy of the law before you. And what does it say then? And then that he may learn, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God. No, no. First, first, read verse eighteen again. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, mm. he shall write for himself in a book a copy of his law, approved by the Levitical. Ah, not anybody gives. You have been seated on the throne, but remember always, there's one set of people whom you will have to listen to. That is the priesthood. The priesthood, the prophetic voice, you have, you're accountable to them. That's when, when David went wrong, Nathan came and spoke. When Saul went wrong, Samuel came and spoke. Because yes, you are, the king of Israel is not like other kings. We are all kings in, but he says you are not autonomous from the priesthood. You should have a book of law that has been approved by them. Your counsel will come from them. Your direction, your guidance will come from them. Okay? So he says, I haven't made you independent of the word and the priesthood. Because that's what happens. And that's what we need to learn, what God is talking about. And one of the ways the king remained humble was always by going by the word. Going by the word. The word of God is set before him. And he humbles himself by seeking counsel from the priesthood. 
And when he is not able to find the solution, he fasts and he prays. And what does he tell the Philadelphia church? You have very little strength. Very little strength. You are kings. But you have very little strength. Why? You have no numbers. You have no money. You refuse to go the way of the world. And you don't have it acquired much gold. But he says, but I have set before you an open door. Why? Because you kept the? My word. You kept my law. You are a king who had the law before you always. You kept my law. You did not turn left or right from my word. You stuck to my word. No, you have to learn what kingship is in the old covenant, given to the instructions given to Israel. And in the spiritual realm, God says, you are all, you read uh, Revelation uh, uh, 5.10. Yeah, Revelation 5.10. And we follow those guidelines. Spiritually, we follow that those guidelines. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God. Yes, you have made them kings and priests to God. And they shall reign on the earth. You are both. You are kings and you are priests. So God says, the kings of Israel, this is the rules given. And the priests will always, you will be always supervised by the fact that you have the law and you have a priesthood. So he combines both and he tells us in the new covenant, this is what you are. And you have one church, he says, I know you have very little strength. Very little strength because you did not go the way of the other churches. Or other people. You looked at my format and you had very, very little strength. You didn't have much money. You didn't have much number. You'd, or you may have all this, but you did not seek your strength in these things. Why this has to be a format the way every church begins and continues for a season before God gives increase is that that becomes a discipline, a pattern in your life. The problem with Solomon, unlike David, was that David had so much trials and turmoil in his life. He had this discipline of fasting and praying. So later, even when he became king, he he fasted and he prayed. Solomon grew with no trouble in the palace. He knew all this idea in his head, but it was never in his life. So when there was trouble, he always resorted to God, married, he always, okay, okay, Egypt is a very powerful nation, let me see what can I do. He said, okay, I'll marry the Pharaoh's daughter. Peace with this Egypt all my lifetime. No, Egypt is never turned because the king is my father-in-law. Let me acquire, go send people to Egypt and brought all the horses. Horses had such a huge standing army. So much gold and silver. So he had multiplied wife. He went because he never had the discipline of fasting and praying consistently. So that's, you have to look at your life and say, okay, I'm going through so much trouble in my life, so much this thing. That's not the point. The point is, during this season of trouble or years of trouble, have you inculcated the spiritual discipline which God wants you? The discipline of consistently fasting, praying, humbling yourself before God and say, Lord, I am weak, you are strong. Take me through this process. Take me through this process. Take me. Even in this worst day, First day of his life at Ziglag, when everybody turned against him, till still the man turns to God. Still that man turns to God because he's got a discipline. And that doesn't come in one day. It's coming in one day. That's a practice. You practice it consistently, 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 so that when you fall, you will rise up because spiritually you have what is called a reflex action to spring back because your spirit has been taught 
to take control, not your soul. You have afflicted your soul. You have afflicted your body through fasting and praying. Otherwise, I'm telling you, like that's what I said. If you look ahead in Christ, the best days and the worst days are ahead. Best days because with Christ is always tomorrow is better. Worst days because the Antichrist power is only increasing. Because God is allowing that to happen because he's worked it out. And who are the ones who will come through these victorious are the people who have learned the secrets. And if you don't learn it and we don't see eternity and we are only looking at this, God says, nothing is going to happen. You will be swallowed. Though you are righteous, you will be swallowed when you don't have to be swallowed. Do you remember Josiah when he found the book of the law? How he rent his sister? Because he had no clue. He was sitting on the throne. But he had no idea how he was supposed to behave. And when the book of the law was read before him, he realized, oh my God, I am the king of Israel. And these are the rules for Israel. I didn't even know. And he rent and humbled himself before God. And when the word of the Lord come through the prophetess Hulda, this is what scripture says in Second Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 26. Look at God's response. Man's response you have and you have God's response. Look at what God says. Verse uh, 34, chapter 34 and verse 26. Loudly, loudly. Hmm. Hmm. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the word which you have heard because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself. Okay, that's what I'm asking. First day. First day. That's one of the reasons I told Sam, don't put it on WhatsApp. Because you see, there are two things. There were 600 men who joined, you heard on Sunday, who joined their hearts with uh, David in Adullam. But actually only 400. The 200 came later. 200 came later. This 400 was there with him from the beginning till the end. Then in the last day when things all went wrong and everything and everybody was taken, and God spoke to to David through Abiathar and he pursued the enemy. 200 said, we are too tired, we are not coming. We are not coming. So on the day, the greatest day of victory, only 400 shared in that glory. 200 were looking after baggage. What I tell you is that don't be a baggage keeper in the kingdom of God after following David for 10 years. That's not your destiny. That's not your destiny. Because you do not know when is the day of victory. When is your day of victory? Because there are a lot of baggage keepers. Ah, it's not going that way, so I'm not coming today. So leave it alone. Leave it alone. You are a baggage keeper. You will get some tidbits from the victory, but you will never share in the glory of the victory. There's a glory of the victory of, of the battle of Christ Jesus. And we are called to share in it. In that glory, there is sufferings. So Paul says, I am willing to share in the sufferings of Christ Jesus. That's where you have to put the spiritual first. Always spiritual first and say, Lord, I'm seeing with the eyes of faith. It will cost me here. It will cost me trouble, traveling so far. Maybe uh, everybody knows for years together, you all know from 26th to 31st is fasting and prayer. And if you were not looking at the church or the people, you're looking with the eyes of faith, I'm applying for leave from 26th to 31st because I'm putting your kingdom first. I'm not doing it for Pastor James. I'm not doing it for Pastor Vidya. I'm not doing it for the church. I'm doing it for you because I know on the day of glory, I want to join my heart with David. That's how you do. Because everybody knows the timetable. 
But the question is, do you become part of it? And there will be very few ultimately in the kingdom of God. Because people get distracted by physical things. Yet God says to Philadelphia church, you are very small. You have no strength. But you kept my word. Therefore to you I will keep an open door. And that's what we all want, an open door. And he said that door no one can shut. Nobody will be able to shut that door because that door was not opened by your power, by your intellect, by your numbers. It was the door that I opened. It's a door that I opened. That's what we saw even this year. God opened that door for us to go to those places. He didn't open to any church in the city. And we didn't even ask. They called us and said, will you come? He opened it for us. What do we have? Do we have numbers? We do have, do we have money? Yet everything came. Everything came. We gave and gave and gave. No, you think about it, but you have to look at it spiritually. Otherwise, what will happen? We will continue. Otherwise, we will get miserable because you know the truth, but the problem is we are not applying the truth. So we are not able to find that victory in our spirit. That was our portion. Because what happens is fasting and prayer is an affliction of the soul. I will not seek my way, but your way. I will not do anything in my strength, but in your strength through me. But when the money and the human plans replace the Holy Spirit, what happens is the Holy Spirit withdraws. Church will have wonderful program, but the Holy Spirit withdraws. Because Holy Spirit is not here to glorify my flesh or my intellect. The Holy Spirit is here to glorify Christ alone. That is where fasting and prayer comes, the affliction. Like I said in the beginning, the Chinese Christians who came to US while they were going back, when they were asked, what is your opinion about the church in America? Their answer is, we are amazed by the church in America. You can do so much without God. Without God. That's why you look at it. Christianity is shrinking in US, exploding in China, where you have the most powerful regime in the world. They have, their army is the largest in the world. They have security systems where they are watching everybody. You ask the government of China, who are the only set of people you are afraid of, they will say we are afraid of the church. That church has very little strength. They have no money. They have no money. They have no political influence. But the most powerful regime in the world is terrified of them. You look through the entire Christmas season, what happened in China. Look at the pictures, breaking down churches, arresting people, not allowing them to gather because they are scared. Yet they don't fight back. They have no weapons. They have nothing. Why? Because you had very little strength. But I kept an open door for you. This regime will not stop you. You will still keep bringing people into my kingdom. We have to. Because that's a church which has got the discipline of fasting and praying without stop. They fast. They pray. It's their lifestyle. And they cry. They cry. They say their songbooks are wet. Songbooks are wet. Their tears. I showed Pastor Vijay and all the picture of uh, how they read their Bible in their churches. I think if you give me my phone, I can probably show you a picture. That phone is there. They don't read their Bible like us. 
I have one of the churches in Chengdu. I have a picture in China. I hope I can find it. Find it. <coughs> or maybe I should just leave it. Take time. Okay. They read the Bible on their knees in the church. That's how they read the Bible. That's how they read the Bible. That's how they humble themselves and how they revere the word of God. Imagine them and all standing before the same God. No, while they stand straight before him, we will then be bent. Because they were bent here and we stood straight. There, they will stand straight and we will bend in shame. Oh. You see, the church needs money, the church needs programs and all that. But it should come from God and supplied by God. It should be at the back and not in the front. Never indifferent. I'm not saying that a church can. No, we all use money, right? We all use money. We all have our church programs. Do you want to call it a program? This is a program. A six-day fast. On the seventh day, we shall be free. Okay? But... It's none of these things of man is in the front. It is God who is in the front. We are dependent upon God. We use these things. So you will see in the book of Acts, not the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of the Holy Spirit, they needed money. They needed money. But the money was always on the ground, at foot level. Always. And you always say they will always depend upon the Holy Spirit. Any crisis, they are not saying how much money do we have. They say let's fast and pray. And the church got together, they fasted and prayed. They had feeding programs, you know that. They fed widows. Lots of widows they fed. But you will always see, when Ananias and Sapphira came over there, that money they are bringing is very useful for the feeding program. But they put the Holy Spirit ahead of money. They said, if we take this money, Peter is realizing, if I take this money, it's going to cost us the spirit. Let the money and the bearer die and we'll retain the Holy Spirit. Look at how they made their decisions. In Acts chapter 6, they have an issue with the feeding program. Look at chapter 1, uh, chapter, chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Look at how. Because they had a social outreach. They're the churches, the widows. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Now in these days, hmm. when the disciples were increasing in number, hmm. a complaint by the Hellenists Mm. arose against the Hebrews mm. because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Okay, daily they feed these widows. Okay, and there is this little conflict between two sets of believers. And then what did the apostles say? And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, mm. it is not right mm. that we should give up preaching the word and serve tables. Mm. Therefore, brothers, mm. we call from among you seven men of good reputation, mm. full of the Holy Spirit mm. and of wisdom, mm. whom we will appoint to this day. Mm. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So this, this makes thing very, there is an issue in the church, but we know our priority. Our priority is that we will continue to afflict our soul in prayer so that we get the word to preach to you. We have to feed your soul. But second, you have an issue over here. This issue has to be settled. So you pick seven people. But the seven people you picked needs to be full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. That is the key. Now you think about it. Can we have programs in any one of our churches? We put that condition. Who will humble themselves and be led by the Spirit and by the let's say, go here, do that. 
This, that's why this was so full of the Holy Spirit and they started waiting on the table. So a little later, one of the waiters at the table is mightily being used by God. Philip is there all over, taking, flying in the Spirit and preaching. But where did he begin? Where did he begin? We think being full of the Holy Spirit is miracles. No, full of Holy Spirit is humility and obedience. Okay. We don't realize these things, you know. This is an actual result of humbling in prayer and fasting the apostles where they will say, we will not back off from that. We will not back. So we have to look at our own heart's conditions. No, first day we look, second day we look and say, Lord, why should I humble? Why should I fast? What am I fasting for? What am I fasting for? Because I will tell you, we will look at three or probably very important things today. And... What you, what you have to realize is that one body, different parts. And all the parts are not the same. Parts have different. I cannot walk on my hands. I cannot eat with my legs. Okay? I cannot walk on my hands and eat with my legs. Though they are part of my same body, the function is different. So according to the function, there is a burden put. When I see food, my leg doesn't go up. My hand does. Because the burden is my hands. The burden in my soul is passed on to the hands to eat. So when you are listening to the word of God and when you fast and pray, you will realize there is a release in your spirit, the burden. And God will anoint you according to that burden. According to that burden. What is the burden in your heart? You actually, we don't have a burden. So we have to receive a burden. You have to receive a bird. So in the book of Isaiah, we look at Isaiah 58. So we have to see our heart, our motive, and the effect. Isaiah 58 and verse 6. Verse 6 is a long verse. First part you read. Isaiah 58. Is not this the fast I have chosen? Okay, that's enough. To lose the Bonds or the bands of wickedness. That's the first thing. First thing. What is your burden? Theologically they say, this is called the disciples fast. Meaning, you see your friends in bondage, in addictions, caught in drugs, porn, whatever you want to call it. God says, when you see that that bondage, that addictions, when you see this caught in these bands of wickedness, does it still your spirit? Lord, I wish. God says, good. I was looking for you to start wishing that. Now you start fasting and praying. Lord, I see this. There's a burden in me when I'm broken, when I see it. He says, I will anoint you accordingly. Is that your wish? Is that your wish? To break the bonds of wickedness. There was a situation when uh, uh, there was there was a little boy who was bound by the spirit of sickness of epilepsy. The disciple they brought them to Jesus. Sorry, to the disciples. The disciples couldn't do anything. Couldn't do anything. Then Jesus came and he rebuked at it. Went. Look at the conversation that happens in Matthew 17 verses 19 and 20. This kid who is caught in this band, bond of wickedness, what happens? Matthew chapter 17, verses 19 and 20. Then the disciples came to 
privately and ask. Why could we not cast it out? Mm. He said to them, because you because of your little faith, but truly I say to you, mm. if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, mm. you will say to this mountain, move mm. from here to there, mm. and it will move, mm. and nothing will be impossible for you. Mm. Jesus again foretells death with the mm. As they were gathering in... No, no, what, this one word, sir. That is what I am saying. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. Ah, this kind will only come out by prayer and fasting. Yeah. Okay. Now you suddenly, pardon? Huh? Yeah, I don't have. Did you did you see that? Okay. It will only come out through prayer and fasting. You see the bands of wickedness, but God says, does it move you? Yeah, it moves me, Lord. I want to do something. He said, really, do you want to do something? Are you willing to afflict your soul? You want an anointing. But anointing is something which God gives. But are you a vessel prepared to receive that anointing? And will you continue in this so that you sustain that anointing all the days of your life? When you realize this kind will only go through fasting and prayer, then you realize, my friends, or the ones who have burden for this addicted, are in bonds of wickedness. Lord, I want you to use me as an instrument to help them out. God says, I will. But remember, this will become your lifestyle. This will become your lifestyle. Whether you are a teacher or whether you are a doctor or whether you are an engineer, you see this and God says, this is your lifestyle. And I will set people free. And God says, will you accept that as your lifestyle? Will you accept it? Lord, I see these bands of wickedness. And I am helpless. I am trying everything, calling in the name of Jesus and everything. Nothing is happening. God says, yeah, nothing will happen. Because this will go through. Only prayer and fasting. Are you willing to afflict your soul? Are you willing to pay that price here? Not there. Are you willing to pay that price here continuously? Are you getting the picture? We know now so well about Hebrews 5, the days of Jesus' life in the flesh, how he prayed. He fasted, he prayed. He fasted, he prayed. He cried out every day and then he came back. Deliverance just took like this. Why? Because he afflicted his soul with fasting and prayer. And therefore, he could minister. The disciples never fasted. And they wouldn't pray. They slept. Yet they wanted his gift. He says, this won't go like that. You can use my name. Some of them will leave. But everyone won't leave. Some of them are so deep entrenched. You want to get rid of them. It will cost you to set somebody free. That is how you share. That's what Paul is saying. I want to share in the sufferings of Christ Jesus. If it is going to cost me to set my brethren free, I am willing to share in that price. Because people all think about ministry being this simple, gather a head full of knowledge and then go out. And Ministry is not like that. That's what God is telling in Isaiah 58. What is your fast? This is the kind of fast I look for. And the first thing he says over there is that, Loosen the bonds or the bands of wickedness. So fasting and prayer should be part of your secret prayer life. That's why Jesus said, he didn't say if you, he said when you fast, when you pray. Because that's part of your lifestyle. Because you know, why are you appropriated lifestyle? Because you're burdened by the bands of wickedness. If it's self, first self, then others. Second thing he says, uh, that same verse. Undo the straps of the yoke. Undo heavy burdens. Undo heavy burdens. 
heavy burden. Are you burdened with some problem? Whatever that problem is, it's different. The first one is different, the second one is different. It's weighing on your mind. You got this burden, you got this problem. Theologians call that the Ezra fast. Ezra has got permission from the king to take the exiles back to Jerusalem to build the temple. But the problem is they have been given so much gold. Tons and tons and tons and tons of gold. And they're going to make this long journey with so much gold, precious stuff to build the temple. The question is, how are we going to go? Those days, even today, the roads are full of thieves and robbers. How are we going to go? Look at Ezra chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. Ezra, chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. I weighed out to them 650 talents of silver, silver articles weighing 100 talents, 100 talents of gold, and 27, 20 balls of gold valued at 1,000 dairies and two fine articles of polished bronze and precious as gold. If you look at it down in your margin, you will see that's around 22 tons. That is the issue. The burden is this. I want to build the temple of the Lord. But how do I go from here to there? How do I finish this task? The burden is heavy. Massive. And the scripture says this is the kind of fast to undo heavy burdens. What does he do? You look at verses 21 to 23. Yeah, Ezra 8 itself. Then I proclaimed the fast. There is a river of Abba. That we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from Him a safe journey for us, our little ones, and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way, because we had said to the king, The hand of our God is favorably disposed to all those who seek Him, but His power and His anger are against all those who forsake Him. Verse 23, yeah. So God, so we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter, and he listened to our prayer. Okay. The king has given him favor, take and go. Now he is ashamed to ask the king, can you send a battalion of soldiers with us? Because he said, our God is God. I don't want to lean on the hand of man. Okay, so what did they do? They went on a three day fast. And they prayed. Lord, this is our burden. Our burden is your burden. We want to build the temple. But the problem is, we have a major issue here. How do we go from point A to point B, probably around 1,000 kilometers, with these tons and tons of gold with no security? How do I do this? This burden is heavy. So what did he do? He called for a three-day fast. Everybody. So let's fast for three days and pray. At the end of the three days, God answered. And they went from there to there without being touched. They overcame. So you ask yourself at your level, what is your burden? What is your burden? What is the burden you are carrying? You are trying everything else except that one thing that is called humbling before God. They said we humbled ourselves before God. They stood straight before the king and humbled themselves before God. Told the king very proudly, we don't need anything because our God is God. And then they went to God and said, you are our God. We can't do this without you. Okay. 
two things. In the physical, it's one thing. In the spiritual, it's another thing. That's why the hidden life of Elijah, we don't know. Here's a man, fervent man who prays. He has fasted and cried out to God, Lord, Lord. And God said, okay, this is what you need to do. The man rises up. Humble man rises up, stands right before the king and says, it won't rain till the word comes from me. Physically one thing, before God another thing. Okay. That's how we have these two lives, two, two lives. We stand proud and strong. Proud in the sense, not negative sense, strong, confident before man. And we are humble before God. That's where our strength comes from. That's what he's talking about the church in Philadelphia. I'll keep that open door because I know your deeds. I know your deeds. And we don't learn these things like we are moving into another year. Okay, You see the bands of wickedness among your generation, all addicted, caught in traps. And say, Lord, I have this burden. That is my burden. And I'm going to fast and pray to break these bands of wickedness. Or you got another burden upon you. Whatever your personal burden or other burden, and scripture says, look at it. They fasted and they prayed. That's why fasting is called an affliction of the soul. Oh, my soul, be still. Because if my soul is not still, I will not hear what God wants to do. And I will not cry out to God. They fasted and they prayed for protection. That was their burden. And God answered their burden. Answered them. Look, let's look at the third one in that same line. Isaiah 58 and verse 6. Yeah, hmm. let the oppressed go free. Let the oppressed? Are you feeling oppressed? These are different, different things. Bands of wickedness is within. Oppression is outside. You can be oppressed from outside. You are not able to move left and right. You are pressed in from outside. Bands of wickedness is within. You are bound within. Or you are oppressed from outside. Liberty to the oppressed. Okay, That's what happened to Israel. Israel was oppressed by the Philistines from every side. They allowed them to be free and do what they want as long as they did what the Philistines told them to do. It is at a point like that Samuel rises. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 7. You look at it. 1 Samuel chapter 7. Verse 2 onwards. From the day that the ark was lodged at uh, a long time past, some twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will direct, deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the bars and the astronauts yeah. and they served the Lord only. Mm. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah and, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on the day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Okay, did you see that? They are being oppressed. They are being oppressed. Oppression comes actually when the presence of God leaves. As long as the presence of you know, when the Holy Spirit lifted Saul, the evil spirit came. Okay? Philistines stood the ark. 
The priest died, his sons died, his daughter-in-law gave birth to a child and she named the child Ichabod. What does it mean? His presence has gone, his glory has gone. Now the ark is sitting over there but the glory has gone. And they are oppressed. You feel oppressed? Are they oppressed? And scripture says they came to Samuel. And the first thing Samuel says is that, do you want the presence of God back, the glory of God back. If you want God, the first thing scripture says is there in verse 2 is that the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. They knew once upon a time what it was to have the presence of God. That's the issue. That's what I said, no? If you do not know what is the first love, you will never crave for it because you don't even know what it is. David was somebody who had always enjoyed the presence of God. That is why he was crying in Psalm 51. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. You know, people who have lived in two light zone don't long after light. Because they don't know what it is. Okay, here they knew. They knew. And they are mourning. And they are seeking after the Lord. Okay, there is a grief in their hearts, a mourning in their hearts, a grief in their hearts. If you don't have it, at least that's why we look at the testimonies and look at certain people and look at them and you say, you know what? I wish I were like that. You know you don't have it, you don't know what it is like it, but you can see it in somebody else. Some, that's how, no, people see Sachin, they see Virat Kohli and all, they want to be like him. They, they won't practice like them, they won't uh, play like them, they won't uh, hard work like them, but they'll cut their hair like them. Because that's all you're able to do. Because you're not willing to afflict your soul or your body to train like them. It is not that it is impossible for you to do it. It is possible. But... It's too much work. So one thing I can do, which also I don't have to do, the barber will do it for me. That, that you, we, we don't realize where does these things actually come from deep within us. Everybody has a longing to be better than he or she is. But we are not willing to work for it. Therefore, what do we do? We appropriate the easiest thing about them and apply it into our lives. And we get this cheap glory that our haircut looks like Kohli. That's basically what happens. Well, God says, do you know who you are? You are a king in Christ Jesus and you're imitating Koli? Do you know what your destiny is? What you can be in the kingdom of God? Will you afflict your soul? You can loosen bands of wickedness. You can lift heavy burdens. You can lift heavy burdens. Here is, here is, this year, whole thousands of Israelites going back. Great day. The king has given them favor. 70 years of captivity is over. Not only that, you've been given tons and tons of gold and silver from the treasury. Even the, some of the things which are in the um, first temple of Solomon, which was taken, the king said, take it back. Think about it. What a day. But the problem is, you don't know how to go. And one man rises up and he says, you know what? Come with me. Let's pray. Let's fast. We've got a God who will answer. The question is, can you be that man or a girl in that generation where God can put a burden on you? And Ezra was that man for that generation. And because he was that man and he gathered others to fast and pray with him, there is a journey that is taken and the things 
and the temple rebuilding which had stopped for many, many, many years starts again. Now here is another situation. Israel are God's people after all the great battles and victories and now they are all slaves. Oppressed. Do they have food? Yes. What the Philistine allows them to eat. Do you have houses? Yes, which the Philistines allow you to have. You are oppressed from all sides. Now they are mourning and grieving God. Oh, we remember those days when God was in our midst. We were free. We were free. And one man rises up and says, do you want that freedom back? Do you want that freedom back? I see your grief in your heart. I see that mourning in your heart. Do you want that freedom back? There are steps. First thing he says is, you need to do a preparation in the physical. Verse 3, he says, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, you are saying you are returning to the Lord with all your heart. He says, prove it. Every idol in your house, throw it out. That's how you come back with all your heart. That's how you prove. So God says, love me with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. And you say, God says, prove it. Prove it. Because what is there in the spiritual, there is a practical application in the physical. Prove it. Put it away. Throw it all those things away. Put it all away. There has to be a response needed in the physical. Otherwise, what is it like Esther? Fasted and prayed for three days. And now we are waiting for God to move. God says, no, you move. You move. You prayed? You fast? Yes. You believe? Yes. Then go. Scripture says she put on her royal garments. She said, if I live, I live. If I die, I die. And I'm going to meet the king. I'm going to meet the king. And when she meets the king, what happens? He raises the scepter. You know how the story ends? Haman the Agakite has risen to destroy the Jews, but you have a picture in the spiritual realm. Before the end of Haman comes, what you see is Esther sitting on her throne and Haman on her knees begging. God says, do you see the picture? That's where the devil should be, under your feet. Begging you, not the other way, you begging him to leave you alone. Every time Jesus walked around and demons said, Lord Jesus, son of living God, why have you come to? trouble us. And we think demons trouble us. God says that's not the destiny of God's children. You are supposed to trouble demons. Esther is not supposed to kneel before Haman. Haman is supposed to kneel before Esther because of who Esther is. Think about it. Destiny. This is our destiny. But it will take you if you have gone in a life of indiscipline, spiritual indiscipline, not physical and discipline, you will have to start coming back and say, Lord, I am going to receive this. I am going to fast. I'm going to afflict my soul. I'm going to put your kingdom first to break the bands of wickedness, to lift heavy burden. You can put your burden, Lord. Ultimately, I know it's not I who am carrying it. It's you who are carrying it. Right? Ezra is not carrying. Ezra is not protecting the crowd. It is God who is protecting. Because what happens, literally, you know, the fear of the Lord will come upon the surrounding people. They will not touch that caravan. They will not. They will not touch because there is fear. It's God supernaturally putting in the hearts of people. Leave my people alone. Don't touch them. Don't touch them. You cannot just expect, oh, I am sitting in my company. Everybody is getting harassed. Lord, help me. God says, are you afflicting your soul? For you and for your other employees? Are you afflicting your soul? They don't know what to do. You know what to do. Will you do it? You know exactly what to do. After today, you know what to do. Will you do it? Will you be part of my solution? Or are you part of the problem? Are you part of the solution? Or are you part of the problem? 
And you say, I will be part of the solution, Lord. I will afflict my soul. I will fast. I will pray. While I do all my other work, I will do. And God says, I'll put that burden on you. And one day people will realize, hey, you know what? I worked in this company for six years. In my team alone, nobody was terminated. God will tell them, you know why? Because that one in your team carried your burden and brought you through. You did not know. Nobody knew. You brought them through. That's what God is talking about. Here they are oppressed. And the first thing he says, put away all those idols in your heart. They had physical idols. Put it all away. If you're really returning back to the Lord and you're searching God with all your heart, whatever is there, get rid of it and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him alone and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. He will deliver you. The powers of darkness. He will deliver you. But you need to put God for If you have one idol along with God, the demons have an open access point. They come through that. They come through that. They got an access point. Like two days back, we were having a this thing, not fight, a discussion because somebody wanted to put somebody on my wall, something on my wall. It's a very nice frame, this thing. Only problem is it's Japanese. And it's from the Orient. So I was telling my wife, don't put it up there. Don't matter. Don't put it. It doesn't matter. It's my brother who gave it. It's my mother who wants to put it up. We don't put it oriental stuff on our walls because it's an access point. I don't want people coming and saying, ah, where did you get it? This so nice. We have never seen anything like that. The devil also sees, he see me on the inside. We put all this stuff and we people don't realize they look so good, but they have become access points for demons to come in because these cultures are all demonic. And we want to look good in the eyes of people and we hang it all. We wear earrings and bangles and this thing without even realizing where this stuff have come from and what has been done to them. Then we are struggling, Lord, deliver me. God will say, I will deliver you. First, you deliver yourself out of these things. Because they have access points. The devil has access points. And God is talking about, so the first thing he says, get rid of all this stuff. Get rid of all this stuff. And may commit. So scripture says in verse 4, they put it all away. And then he tells in verse 5, assemble all Israel at Mizpah and I will intercede with the Lord for you. First, all of you come together. All of you gather as one. Remember, Jesus told the church, his disciples, wait in Jerusalem. Until he have received power. They waited 10 days, the 120, as one, praying, fasting, one, 10 days. God was testing them. One day, two day, three day, four day, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. Ten is the number of judgment. And we are across tenth, and we are into the sixth month of our eleventh year. Eleventh year. On 31st, when you know next year's promise, you will understand what all these things mean. Because I'm building you up to that. Maybe only one in the church will receive it. It doesn't matter. That one is enough for God. For a pastor, I would like 50 fulfilling that promise. God doesn't need 50. He needs only one. But he needs one. He needs one. Only when into salvation, he found nobody. So his own hand worked out salvation. For every other work, he needs one. Only one Noah is needed. One Abraham is needed. One Israel is needed. One Elijah is needed. One Elisha is needed. Only one is needed. But the question is that if there are more, God is very happy because he's a father. But the question is, will you, I be that one? Will you and I be one? Or we will be lost in this world, in that crowd. So he says, come as one to Mizpah. And scripture says, they all came there as one. And verse 6 says, when they came over there, the first thing Gopi they did is pour the water. They are fasting and praying. 
So as a symbol of that, they are pouring their water, a drew water and poured, meaning we are not going to drink, we are not going to eat today. Our life is poured as an offering before you. And scripture says, <clears throat> they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord and Samuel was a leader of Israel at that mispah. Do you understand something over there? I always tell this thing to my wife. I tell her to this thing. You know? Don't force people to come for fasting and prayer. That has to be. Church, you can call them, come, come, haven't seen you for two days, three days and all. But fasting and prayer, people have to come on their own voluntarily because I am only their leader. The rest are followers. God could only speak to those 120 who had gathered consistently for fasting and prayer because he was only their leader. There were plenty. He spoke to over 500 people. That's why fasting and prayer is an affliction of your body and your soul will define who your leader is. It's not like other things. It's not like coming to church on a Sunday or a Wednesday because you are receiving. They're all you are receiving. This is an affliction of each one who gathers. Samuel is recognized as the leader that day on Mizpah by all the people who gather to fast and to pray. Understand these principles. Church is not like God sees, man sees. Church is like God sees. And once you have come together consistently like that, eight days, nine days, ten days, before that, who will sit on my right, left, all this hangama had gone. But now they have afflicted their soul, afflicted the body, they have become one in the spirit, and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. They are all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they are standing as one, 120, and Peter steps forward and he speaks for the whole as one. And nobody objects. Nobody objects. He speaks one for 120. A little later, Jerusalem council, a few years later, about Gentile believers, everybody is talking, discussions, everything has decided. They have decided this is all to be told to the Gentile believers. You don't need to do all these things. Just don't worship idols. Don't eat um, strangled meat with blood on it. And scripture says, once the decision was need, who steps forward? James. Peter doesn't say you are not the leader. He says you are the leader because you are the pastor of the church. I am just an apostle. There's no conflict there because they have made one and they know their headship. Because the same spirit is moving through all of them. But how does the spirit have access through this one thing? God says, it's not fasting and affliction of your soul. That you are not allowing your will to have control. You are allowing God's spirit through your spirit to have control over your soul and your body. And scripture says there, as soon as the fasting and prayer is what the scripture says in verse 7, the Philistines heard, do you think if you genuinely fast and pray, the enemy will not come after you? Of course he will come after you. He doesn't visit all meetings. He visits every fasting and prayer meeting to know whether it is serious or not. If it is not serious, he will say it's a program. Don't waste your time. Let's go to the next place and check it out. When they gather, scripture says a Philistine scale. But what does scripture say there? They are terrified. They said to Samuel, when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. That is where leadership is defined. The people will be afraid. The leadership cannot be afraid. That's why God was upset with Moses. The people are crying, but why are you crying? Why are you crying? You're not supposed to cry. Samuel didn't cry. He interceded. He took a suckling lamb. He offered it to the Lord in sacrifice. He knew what to do. He offered a sacrifice. And scripture says in verse 10, 
While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with a loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them in such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. That's why when we pray, when we three of us, when we pray every day in the morning, one thing we pray is, Lord, let there be confusion in the ranks of the enemy. That they are blinded, they are confused, they will plan a lot of things against your people, but they will be totally confused. That's how we pray every morning when Ma Vijay and I pray every morning. One of the ways in which we pray is confusion in the ranks of the enemy. We pray that prayer and we believe God thunders and there is confusion. So you have to understand all these little, little, little things, but big things, because they are afraid. And But God answers. God answers. The leader in Exodus 14 was afraid. But when he heard, God said, stretch your hand. He stretched his hand. And the waters departed. And everybody passed across. So the whole purpose of fasting and prayer is basically this. Understand this. There are different kinds of things which God does. And find out what is your burden. And say, Lord, put that burden in me. And I will afflict my soul. And if, in case you yourself is bound with that, you fast and pray and say, Lord, untie me. I'm very serious about it. I'm bound by this, but I'm going to fast. I'm going to go on a three-day fast. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to drink also, if needed. We need to be really, really violent in this. That's what Jesus said. The kingdom of God from the time of John the Baptist is advancing in violence. And the violent ones, this is spiritual violence. Where you afflict your soul, you afflict your body, and you shut up, and I will, my spirit will listen and receive from God, and I will fight this battle. Only one, once we have become all like that, we can have real corporate fasting and prayer. Till then it's teaching. But individually who got it, they fast and pray. And they stand in the gap and therefore you have a fasting life you guys don't even know. Our prayer life we have no clue of. But it's a part of our life. We don't even think about we are doing something out of ordinary. If we eat three meals a day, it is out of ordinary. Yeah, because that's a part of your life. You have realized and you realize it has got power. And it works. You can handle more and more and more burden and more and more troubles that is coming on the way of the church, the people. We can handle it because why? You have opened yourself to God. That's what God is talking. Even as a student in your studies, in your future, in your marriage, unmarried girls, wives, everything. It's a battle. You think this is a ba- not just not a battle over your marriage? Because the devil knows who you are. And your marriage can make you doubly po- powerful. If two of you agree on anything, what if a godly man comes into your life and you are able to come together in prayer? He knows you are double the trouble. So he will start messing up every marriage of proposal of yours. Do you fast and pray? Fast and pray, Lord, this is my burden. This is my burden. Breakthrough for me, Lord. I cannot escape marriage because my family will kill me. So I have to get married. But let it be, Lord. I cannot fight this battle. I need your grace. I need... So look around into your hearts, let God put that burden and then slowly start practicing this for young ones once a week in the beginning and then slowly it changes. Then it becomes one meal a day every day. And you will realize you don't get weaker or anything by these things as long as for the right reason you don't get weaker. And this is for the wrong reason, fasting makes you weak. But if it is for God, fasting doesn't make you weak. Prayer doesn't make you weak. It makes you strong. 
and always look at the seven churches and look at the sixth church. It was a very weak church. Yet it is to that church God left a door open. Why was it weak? Because it was not strong in anything of the world. It was very weak before God. It is absolutely humble before God. Lord, we don't trust in money. We don't trust in numbers. We don't trust in political power. We shall fast. We shall pray. Afflict our souls. And we shall remain true to your word. And God says, door is open for you. Personally applicable as an individual. Corporately applicable as a church. Amen.